You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. In today's Viva podcast, we'll be talking with Mary Gavoni about HIPAA compliance. Mary is an internationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant working with dental teams for more than 40 years on clinical efficiency, infection prevention, ergonomics, and team communication. She has a master's in business administration and is an RDH and CDA. Mary, thanks again for joining us on Dental Talk. Thank you for having me. This is a pretty important topic, HIPAA compliance. So we know that documentation is important to OSHA. You've talked about that before. Is it important to HIPAA as well? It is absolutely important to HIPAA. And there are several really critical documents that a practice must have to be HIPAA compliant. First is a privacy policy. And that means that they have in writing all of the things that they do to protect the privacy of their patients' protected health information. They also need to have a written security policy that does sort of the same thing about the protected health information, but it's all the things they do to protect the electronic security of that that data. Um, Every patient or the guardian or parent of every patient must have signed an acknowledgement form that a patient's been given the opportunity to see the patient's or the practice's notice of privacy practices, which is a summary of their privacy policy statement. And the other thing that's really important and and very often overlooked are statements that are signed by employees, that they agree to follow the privacy and security protocols for the practice and that they acknowledge that they could be disciplined and or dismissed from the practice for violation of those policies. The last of the documentation that a practice needs to have is in writing a security risk assessment. And this needs to be done on an annual basis. And it's typically a list of, oh, maybe 40 or 50 questions about the internet protocols and server and and backups and other things related to the security of the patient's electronic health information. And typically, a practice needs to work with an IT professional in order to get the appropriate documentation that they have, because most of the time, practices don't really understand what their firewall protocol is or some of the other more technical aspects of that security risk assessment. And that's something that is becoming more and more important now that we have such an increasing number of security breaches in healthcare facilities, including in dental practices. Yeah, and that that actually leads into my next question. You kind of answered that, but we'd love you to elaborate on it further. Do dental practices or facilities really need to worry about cybersecurity? Is this something, is this a real risk that everybody needs to be concerned about? It is absolutely a real risk. Um, the, it is sort of well known in the in the dark web community that dental practices are sort of the low hanging fruit. In other words, easy to hack into. The one thing I think that keeps a lot more breaches from happening or hacks from happening is the fact that dental practices typically don't have a huge database of patients. And so while they're easier to hack, there's not as much to get as if 
It would be a large medical facility or hospital, for example, lots of patient records, lots of patient information to be gained from hacking into that. But there certainly are threats that can totally disrupt the function of a, of a practice if a server is attacked by ransomware and so forth. Um, it can cause a loss of patient data. It can cause an interruption in treatment. And HIPAA expects that every dental practice, every healthcare facility will have the appropriate measures in place at what are considered to be reasonable to protect that information, including appropriate backups in case there's even some kind of a natural, natural disaster. Um, just a month or so ago when Hurricane Florence was set to hit the, the east coast of the U.S., the Department of Health and Human Services was sending out all kinds of email notifications to healthcare facilities to make sure that they had their data backed up so that they wouldn't lose it if their facility was destroyed by the storm coming in. So we need to worry about it more than ever. Yeah, that's an interesting point you make about uh, dentists being soft targets, but because they don't have these huge databases, there may not be active uh, hackers going in there looking at their trying to get into their server. It's like, why would you want to rob a bank if there's only $10,000 in the bank, something like that. But exactly. it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's still not a super important issue as far as uh, operating your practice. Because like you said, if there's ransomware, you can't even run your office anymore. It shuts you down. Um, exactly. So what do dental professionals need to be aware of when using the internet at work? What are your thoughts on that? Well, first and foremost, dental practices and, and dentists in particular need to be the the policy setter here and not allowing their employees or not doing it themselves using the internet for a lot of personal business at work if it's the internet that the same internet connection that connects all their workstations to their server because if you do that if i'm working in a dental practice and i'm going on the internet from my workstation and i go for example to my personal facebook account and we all know, I think, how not secure Facebook is. Um, or I'm going to some website where I'm going to download some games or music or something that could be um, infected with some kind of malware. If I do it from my Internet connection that goes directly to my server, then I'm opening up a pathway for a hacker to actually get at my patient information. So any kind of shopping or social media posting that might be done from a practice should be done on a completely separate network, preferably a Wi-Fi network or one that's on a separate IP or internet protocol address from the intranet that connects all the computers to the server in the practice. And we shouldn't be downloading any kind of files that have nothing to do with the business of the practice on the workstations in the office because there's too much risk of those files being infected with some kind of malware or virus or ransomware. And that's the typical things that happen in terms of security breaches usually come from what the Department of Health and Human Services, the organization that oversees HIPAA, they come from what they call insider threats. Somebody opening up an email from someone they didn't know and infecting the rest of the computers. So internet use has to be curtailed.
Mm-hmm. And when it comes to downloading, uh, can't the IT person who's setting up the infrastructure in the office put some filters on on the uh, firewall where they actually prevent downloading of, of certain kinds of files? Absolutely, and they should, but many practices don't do that. There should be lots of blocking of sites that can't either be accessed or things that can't be downloaded. But in many cases, I see practices who use someone whose primary job is not IT support. It may be somebody who does it on the side or it's a part-time job, and so they may either not always be available or they might not keep up on everything that needs to be done um, for security for a dental practice. So, so every dental practice needs to have a business relationship with an IT company, whether it's local or national, there's lots of options available. It's somebody who really works specifically with dental practices, who understands dental practice management software and, and verifying backups and things. But yeah, the, the filters, the blocking, all of those things should be part of that security protocol to help prevent those kinds of of encryption or ransomware types of things from happening. Yeah, those are frightening situations for dental practice. And obviously the dentist has to take this very seriously. Um, Is it really necessary to encrypt patient information when mailing uh, content to another dentist? Yes, it is necessary to encrypt unless there's some other way to send it securely. Encryption is the most common, it's the easiest to do, but some, I know some practices have their own virtual private network that they can send information back and forth to, from a specialist to another specialist or to a referring practice um, because it's a secure internet connection for them. But encryption is, is the most common. And it's not, I think the most common misunderstanding is that it's that it's about the sensitivity of the information. And let's face it, the dental radiographs are not exactly the most sensitive health information out there. And that's really not the point of using an encryption service for patient information. It's the fact that whatever that patient information is, whether it's an x-ray image, it might be a digital image, it might be some kind of a report about the patient, that document comes from the server. And when you just attach it to an open email um, server like Gmail or Yahoo or something, there always is an electronic pathway from that email and that attachment going out there into cyberspace back to your server. So you're opening up again a way for somebody to hack into the server using an encryption program or an encryption service takes that image, for example, radiographs, takes that image, copies it, stores it in a a secure area that's protected by firewalls, and it stays there for a certain period of time until the recipient clicks on a link in a message that they get and goes to download from the secure site. So there's no connection anymore between whatever that image was that was pulled off the server back to the sender's server. So the dentist that's receiving that email, what does he or she have to do to um, de-encrypt or unencrypt, unencrypt, I guess is the word, 
Uh, to- Very simply, mm-hmm. they just need to click on the link. What, what typically happens is that you use an encryption service that will send a message saying that you've received, to the recipient, you've received a secure message from, and it says who it's from, and it has a link to the encryption site, and they just click on that link, they go to the encryption site, and they will have to create for each encryption site a username and a password for that same encryption site. They can use that over and over, but once they log in with a username and password, then they can retrieve that information. Now, another way that that can work is that, for example, many specialists will create a secure portal on their website so that the referring doctors can, again, create a username and a password and log into this portal on the website, and they can upload radiographs or upload a referral or any other information. And the same thing when treatment in the specialty practice is finished, a notification can be sent to the practice to go log into the portal and then you can download copies of reports or radiographs or anything that you need. But is the stumbling block for most practices is they want it to be easy. They don't want to mess with a login. They don't want to mess with a password. And they don't do it because they think it's too cumbersome. What they need to do is just get into the habit of doing it in the compliant way and then it just becomes second nature to them to do it. Yeah, it sounds like having that um, website that allows for a uh, HTTPS, I guess a secure URL with a username yep. and password. Once that doctor has the username and password, they could just go in there and even save the username and password in LastPass or something else. Exactly. And then they could just jump in there and access their particular private folder and, and get the files they need and drop off the files they need. That seems like that would be the easiest method. Exactly. Um, but yeah, business but, as usual, just sending things back and forth is not a safe thing to do. And and just because you you can do it and nothing's happened doesn't mean that something won't in the future. It's very risky. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a pathway right back from that attachment to the, to the doctor's server. And these hackers yes. are looking for these pathways. Their emails are just, uh, again, soft targets to find these pathways back to the server. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of dentists do know some technology more so now than ever. I mean, the the younger, especially the younger dentists that are coming in. But again, they have so much to do, so much on their mind, so many things to run a practice that uh, sometimes, like you said, it's another step and they just need to get the information out. So they just send the email with the attachment. And that's when that's when these things go bad. Great information, Mary. We thank you so much for your time. If you want to get more information from Mary Gavoni. She has a website that has a lot of resources on it and contact information. It's at marygavoni.com. That's Mary, G-O-V-O-N-I.com. And um, I hope we have you on soon for more Viva podcasts coming down the road. Thank you so much. I hope to be there.